clear. Stand by for stage reset and house lights. Thanks team for another great show. I'll see you all backstage. This is Designed to Change, Backstage Conversations. Bill for uh, joining us backstage. Do you remember that feeling of being on stage and going backstage? Absolutely. So I did my work early in my career, undergraduate and graduate in theater. So this is a very familiar feeling, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And now your, 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 your payoff pay for the company, um, if I say it correctly, is deep expertise and helping those with deep expertise. I like, let's say, the the, the repetition of those two words. How, how did you guys come up with that? So, we, it's, it was a learning process, right? There's no, to come up with a clear tagline, you don't come up with it in the first day. Um, in some ways, we've used the phrase Jerry Maguire for nerds as okay. well, mm -hmm. going back to the movie. Um, but where we believe is and it's a small niche that we serve we relevant to a fraction of a percent of the population right and we embrace that we're deeply irrelevant to many right so rather than worry about that we say okay for those who want to take ideas to scale for those who want to create impact Let's study how that happens. How do you create impact at scale through ideas? And that's deep expertise in that area. I like that a lot. And the fact that you, um, so it also begs the question, how much expertise do you need to have about the other person's expertise in order to explore their expertise? So that's one of the things that I find fascinating. So. I've been in this field now working for 20 years. I've worked with experts who are experts on innovation at Stanford. I've worked with Ivy League professors. Um, I've worked with C-level executives, all who have fantastic ideas, right? And they know their area of expertise far better than I ever will. And there's a process, though, from understanding and learning from them. There's an intellectual sparring where the best way to describe it is very much like graduate school, where you, but you have the pr privilege of challenging the professor on their ideas because your goal is to help them sharpen them, make them accessible, and take them to scale. And so my career has really been an exploration of ideas. I left academia, but I didn't leave learning. Do you think your your early fascination with theater had something to do with this? I'm not sure directly, perhaps indirectly. Um, it is hard to sometimes look back and find the exact red thread, right? Um, it could be theater, it could be improvisation, it could also be a love of language and ideas. I think 
they're all pieces of a whole. And even sometimes looking back, finding that red thread of how did I get here, it's clearer than it is going forward, right? Because going in forward, you're like, I'm not sure where I'm going. Hmm. In the past, at least you see the stepping stones. Where I prefer is to focus on the moment and say, yeah. I'm here. Yeah. What do I do with it? Yeah. And in hindsight, it's easier to find the pivotal moments where the changes happened, right? Absolutely. In, like, you know, the very clear example you gave regarding a heart condition you were unaware of that led you to now run a half marathon. I think that's a super clear delta. But also, uh, tell us a little bit more about your, your you know, in the, in the rise of change and the change in your role over the years that you've been doing this. Now you're going to be a more vocal advocate. What does that, what does that mean for you? So for me, that's being visible as an advocate for, well, one of the things that has happened is organizations are recognizing they need someone or a team responsible for the organization's thought leadership, that it doesn't go to scale by chance. That doesn't mean that that team is responsible for coming up with every idea, but it does mean that someone's curating those ideas and making sure that they spread through the organization and then they also reach clients, customers, policymakers, whomever they're trying to reach. Mm. So for me, I look at the role of the thought leadership practitioner, the head of thought leadership in an organization. It's similar to if we were to go back to medieval venice where double entry bookkeeping was being established right mm -hmm. every merchant every house had its own little bit different way of doing it there's not a common language there's not and they're keeping their process a little secret what i'm doing is i've planted a flag and saying okay Thought leadership is a function and a role. Many people are being hired into it. Let's create a community. Let's create standards. Let's establish ways of doing this because without that community, you can't solve big problems. Absolutely. And how do, how do, how do you pinpoint or let's say because I'm just thinking about this. There are so many topical thought leadership distinctions right there's so many different types of topics probably just like in academia there's you know a gazillion different topics that somebody can be a thought leader on i remember my brother presenting his phd study at one point and he's an orthopedic surgeon and he had this little illustration at the very end when he knew that he passed successfully that demonstrated a very zoomed in situation with a very small little um, alteration to a semicircle. And he said, after all of the work that we've done, <laughs> the one thing a PhD student hopes to achieve is that one little dent in that massive set of knowledge, right? That you have now created this little pimple of knowledge on top of this huge planet of knowledge. And that being undisputed or being challenged in the right way, like you were describing, how, you know, like being in graduate school, right? Where you want to sharpen, make it accessible and scale the idea. And you say there's method to the madness. That's, that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your brother's example is a very good one, right? Where a very valuable and meaningful idea, right? That one change to the circle could change procedures, you know, in terms of surgery, could impact lives, could impact outcomes. All of these things can be very meaningful, even though they've been distilled down to the simple. 
And yeah. that's one of the things that I think is very hard in thought leadership. It is easy to tell someone, yes, I'm writing a book on this topic. But really, at the end of the day, when I look at a business book or I read a journal article, for me, if I flip through a book and I find one two-by-two diagram or a graph that creates an insight that I haven't had before, that's worth the hardcover price of the book, right? It's can you distill down years of experience and expertise into something that I can look at and understand in a moment. Now, I haven't mastered it, but I can see the world in a new way. That's the goal of thought leadership. And so it's easy to joke about a two-by-two matrix or, you know, that back-of-the-napkin scribble. But like your brother, years of work to get to that one diagram. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the fascination in thought leadership very often. It's, and then finding people that have common care around that topic who, like you say, geek out on the matter to such a degree where you lose a lot of the other people who are not versed in the same language or interested in the same thing. It's finding that moment of joy or finding that moment of common care that sparks the best possible conversations. Um, let me ask you a last question there, uh, uh, Bill, if I may, which is you, you've been to many events in your life, uh, no doubt. Which, which event was a pivotal moment for you that you can remember top of mind so it's a production of richard iii um with ian mckellen and it is the shakespeare's plays are not divided into intermission it's a series of acts right mm -hmm. but um it was the end of the first act is richard had assumed power and had become king. And Ian McKellen standing on stage, single spotlight, shining down on him alone. And he's building up his speech and his energy. And the lights are dimming in the house and just this tight spotlight. And he's being raised up by what looks like a cherry picker. So he winds up 15, 20 feet off stage. And as the house goes to the last moment before curtain behind him drops a red and white banner and this is the production it's been done in film with ian mckellen that set richard iii in world war ii and all of a sudden you see the speeches at nuremberg you see the connection and tight spotlight on McKellen, mm -hmm. the red and white banner behind, stylized, but very clearly what it's implying. And the audience gasped yeah. visibly. They didn't see it coming, but as soon as they did, there was a moment of transformation. Yeah. Silence as the house goes black, house lights come back up, there's no applause. The audience is in shock. Wow. And that's the moment that I look at. One of the role of thought leadership for me is making the invisible visible. Taking an idea to scale and showing it to people in a way that they understand. And so whether you do that through an event or a moment on video 
or in writing or on stage, what we are trying to convey is an insight and a moment of transformation. And on that epiphany that that collective audience had and that you've just shared with us, you're making me very curious as to the atmosphere in that space, right? I think that tension that the state of shock, of collective shock of a group of people in relation to the intent of, you know, ex exemplifying that situation is, is magically uh, shocking, right? Uh, as you said. Um, and intermission, which is normally, hey, let's go to the restroom, let's get maybe a drink or something and chit chat. Everyone was talking about those last moments of the act. Yeah. Everyone was trying to make sense of what it meant to them. Yeah. And that is the heart of theater. That is the heart of event design. That's the heart of thought leadership. When you get people taking an idea within them and saying, what does this mean to me? Terrific. And this is just one example that I know you have many, many different ones. Um, tell our listeners as well where they can find your podcast, because if, if you enjoy thought leadership and you enjoy the, um, you know, the, the, the making the invisible visible um, um, skill that Bill exemplifies in that thought leadership, then you have a really good podcast. Where can they find that, Bill? So the podcast is called Leveraging Thought Leadership. It's available wherever you download your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or whatever, or on our web website, thoughtleadershipleverage.com. Excellent. I'm going to um, start cooking dinner on this side of the planet in Switzerland. I know you have a full day ahead of you in Las Vegas and in, in Nevada. Today is the 9th of March, uh, 2022 for Posterity, we always name the date because we will meet again in roughly one year and you will get that invite, Bill. We're looking forward to the answers to the Claiming Time worksheet uh, from the onstage part. Thank you for being on the Design to Change podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to be with you. A delight. Thank you, Rude. You've been hanging out backstage on Design to Change Designer Conversations. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using hashtag design to change and hashtag event canvas. Want more thought provoking content like this? Visit designtochange.online to purchase your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Don't forget it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune into our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation. <laughs>